Today is Mother's Day. Today is Mother's Day and May is our mission's emphasis. And so I tried to figure out from the Lord how would he marry those things together for me to preach a message. And it seems fitting for me to preach about something that is at the heart of both mothers and missions. And that would be family. I think the thing that's at the heart of both mothers and missions, you're going to say missions? Well, I'll explain that. We'll start off talking about mothers. I'll show you how it ties to families, ties to missions. And I'm hoping you're going to embrace as a family. I wanted to share this message today as in a family service so that we understand that it's more than just individualistic, what we're going to talk about today, mothers and family and, and missions. See, moms, I think it would be safe for me to say that family is at the center of your world. You might say it of dads that sometimes work or something's at the center of their world, and, but I think it's safe to say it's a generalization, that for moms, family is at the center of your world. And the way I can tell that's true is I'm friends with tons of you on Facebook. And that's what you post. You post pictures of family, that moms, family is the center of your world. And when we want to illustrate real love in the world, what we often do is we talk about a mother's love for her children. Or we say something like this, don't get between mama bear and her cubs. I learned that lesson early on as a pastor. One day I was in a situation, there was an uh, older pastor been around for a while, and, a, and there was a mom and a child, and they were from my church. The pastor wasn't from my church, and something went on, and I leaned to him, and I said, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. And uh, he said, you've learned early. And I said, this is what I've learned. I've never won once trying to help a parent parent their children directly. I will give principles, <laughs> but you never get between a mama bear and her cubs because you always get eaten up, you know. And so why do we say that? We don't say that to be out of meanness. We say that because it's an illustration of mother's love for family. When I was thinking about this, um, I was reminded of a story, and it's, it's, it's a sad story, but it's a true story, that I remember reading, and I looked it up, and I found it, about a family named, from a man named Solomon Rosenberg that was a true story from World War II. Um, they were a Jewish family, and... Solomon Rosenberg and his wife and his two sons and his mother and father were um, Jews in Nazi Germany and they were abducted because they were Jews and they were put into a concentration camp, into a work camp. And at that concentration camp, the rules were very simple. It was, it was stated this, as long as you can do your work, you are permitted to live. But when you are too weak to do your work, then you are exterminated. And so the family lived under that pressure all the time. And, and Rosenberg, Solomon Rosenberg, watched his mother and father become weak and then be exterminated because they could not do the manual labor that they were asked to do anymore. And, and he knew something to be true. He knew out of their family the next one that would be exterminated would be his son David. Because his son David had always been a rather frail child and he, and he just knew that he wouldn't be able to keep up the workload and he would probably be next. So, so every day they would take Solomon off to the work crew and the rest of the family, they split them up and go do their work. And when he'd come back at the end of the day into the barracks that they, they had to live in, he would come back and he would look for his family members. And when he'd find his family members, they would all huddle. As he, he recalls this, they would huddle and they would pray and they would thank God for another day of life. Well, one day he came back to the barracks and he did his normal thing looking around the crowd and he didn't see his family. And he found, he searched around frantically, and he found his son Josh 
in the corner, and his son was, was praying and crying and sobbing. And he said, he just looked at him and he said, tell me it's not so. And he, and he said, well, Papa, he called him Papa, it is. They said David was too weak, he couldn't do his work, and they came to get him. But when he came to get him, um, he began to cry. And he began to scream, and, and he said, well, where's Mom? And he said, well, because he was crying and he was screaming, Mama walked up to him and took his hand and said, David, it's okay. There's nothing to be worried about. I'll go with you. And it's a true story. And Mama walked out with them knowing what she was facing, that she faced execution. Why? Because she didn't want her son to be alone and to be afraid when she knew that they were both going to die. Now, I know it's kind of a sad story, but I think it illustrates better than a mama bear on how moms have this sense of love for their children, but not just the children, that there's a sense of mother's love for family. That moms, as a whole, value family. It's why dads and kids, when mom's always trying to get you to turn the TV off and come to the dinner table, why she's doing that, I'm not going to look down here, it's why she's doing that, because she cares about family. She doesn't care so much about hot food. She cares about family, because moms tend to care about family. Moms value family. And fathers and children also ought to value family, and there's a reason for that. It's not just a mom thing, but I think we see it illustrated greatly in moms. But also fathers and children ought to value family for a very real reason, because God values families. Matter of fact, family was God's idea. In fact, God created family to be the foundation upon which all the world in all societies would be built. He created man and woman, and he joined them together into a family, and then he instructed them, and then he released them to rule his creation and perpetuate his order around the globe. That's what the Bible talks about. Grab your Bible with me. Turn to the very beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1. And I want to show you something that maybe you didn't notice about family before. Show you a number of things. Genesis 1, we're going to look at verses 26 to 31. You there? Easy one to find? Verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be for food for you. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which I have, which has life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. What we see here is that God designed humanity to function in family. If you go through the six creation day, the events of, of creation, 
and you look at when he created things, you see there's something unique to man that wasn't, wasn't said about any of the animals or anything else that he created. That he created Adam and Eve, and he never said it. He, he didn't say you could just go your own way. In fact, he created them to be a unit. He created them and he united them, and then he commissioned them as a unit to go rule the earth and to fill the earth. That family came first. He took them first and he, he said, stay together. And then he told them what to do. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about family and this unit that he created. Look at what God designed family to offer and to accomplish um, for all of humanity. First of all, we see from the text that when he created family and he said function together, that God said that family would offer community. It would offer a sense of community to humanity. In chapter 2 of Genesis, um, the story of creation is repeated with additional details. And there it says God created Eve for Adam for a reason. He said because it was not good for Adam to be alone. You see, understand something about humanity. We are not designed to function in solitude. Um, some people kind of think that they, they, they're somehow they're strong because they live in solitude. They want to live in solitude. That's not God's plan for humanity. God designed humanity to function in community. See, God knows that we function best with a lifelong companion. By God's design, the norm is for man and woman to get married and to stay married and to create families. That's what we see in Genesis from the very foundation of the world. That's God's norm. In fact, Scripture says something. It says that only certain people have been given the gift of singleness. The norm is marriage, and some people, he says, though, have been given the gift of singleness. talks about that in Matthew 19. Um, but they've been given the gift of singleness. But he says along with that gift of singleness also must come a, um, a commitment to celibacy. He's saying even that closest unity, union that can happen on the, on, the, on the world is only restricted for marriage. But that some people have been given a gift of singleness, but that's not the norm. He says the rest of mankind is to marry and to create families. This understanding that that's where community is supposed to develop, the most intimate of community, this understanding of God's order does away with the notion of living together that is so common in our world today. It says marriage first. It does away with this idea of friends with benefits. Did you ever believe there would be a day that you'd actually understand what that, what that phrase means? That we could say friends with benefits and people would know what it's talking about? That our world would be in such disorder that that would happen? It does away with the idea of casual sex because God created families for closeness and companionship, for int- ultimate intimate companionship. God designed the family, starting with marriage and then having children. See, related, another thing that tied to family is this, that he not only created it just for companionship, but God created family for multiplication. Some of you don't like math. This multiplication's easy. It's got some ties to it, but it's easier. Genesis chapter 128 says this. He creates the family, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. He's not telling them to go to math class. He's telling them, have kids, be fruitful, and and reproduce is what he's saying. See, God created family as a way to populate the world. But I want you to notice something about it here because we don't get it in our culture today. Notice the order. First comes family, then 
comes multiplication. I was thinking about this. I was remembering, best I could call it is a rhyme that we used to say as a kid, and I tested some of the staff to see if they knew the rhyme, and they all did. So we used to tease people when they were young and they liked somebody, and we'd say something like this, Mark and Susie sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Susie with a baby carriage. You know, have you ever heard that before? Right? Is there anybody who's never heard that before? We've all, you've never heard it before. Here's the deal. Order matters. Love, marriage, children. Order matters. Even a nursery rhyme. And I was trying, after I asked Tracy, who was raised in Australia, I said, did they say that in Australia? And she said, yes, but they said it different. They spelled marriage different. I forget how they did. Um, uh, anyways, <laughs> they did something a little different, but it's almost identical. But I thought it had to be God-inspired. Because even the nursery rhyme, the little kids were saying, order is important. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Susie with the baby carriage. That's the order. I want you to listen to me, kids, today. Youth today, I want you to listen to me. Contrary to what you see on TV, or even see lived in the lives of people around you, having children is to take place between a married mother and father. That's God's design. It's the best for children, it's the best for parents, and it's the best for society. Sociologists tell us, study after study, that kids do better socially and kids do better academically when they live in a stable home with their mother and their father. Now, I understand something. I understand that people make mistakes. And sometimes it's not the case. And for some of you in this room, that's not the order that took place. I understand that. There's grace for that. But here's what I want for all of you young people to understand and for us to set as a standard. Let's not let past mistakes set the precedent for future behavior. Let's not let past errors set the precedent and say, well, it happened to me that way, it's going to happen to you that way. No. Let's not let past mistakes set the precedent for future behavior. We can't undo the past, and there is great grace from God when we do things wrong, but God's plan is for multiplication to be between a man and a woman who are married. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Susie with the baby carriage, right? That's God's plan. Family offers that, the right place for multiplication, the right place for companionship. But family offers another thing that Genesis reveals to us this. What else does it reveal? Family offers the opportunity for growth. It offers the opportunity for growth and for maturity. And every one of you needs to hear this today. I don't care if you've been married a week. I don't care if you've been married 35 years. Every one of you needs to understand this today, that, that, uh, that marriage and family offers the opportunity for maturity. In chapter 1 of Genesis, chapter verse 27, it says this. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created humanity male and female, and then it says he then joined them together. God took two totally different people and says this. Genesis 2 says this. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, follow me on this. Do you think God gave any thought to that before he did it? Taking two totally different people, different likes, different dislikes, different ideas. Remember, he didn't say to the bears and to the llamas, you've got to create a union and stay together and make a family. He only said it to mankind. Do you think he gave some thought to it, taking totally different people with different likes and ideas and dislikes? And he didn't just tell them to get in a room and play nice. No, he joins them together in the most intimate way and says, learn to love one another. Don't you think he could have seen the conflict he was creating? Don't you think he maybe just saw that that was going to create some issues? Friends, that's the whole point. By joining two dissimilar people, he provides us with a continual with continual opportunities to live out love, to learn to grow and mature in love. Marriage and family is the greatest laboratory there is for learning how to love. I don't really have to learn how to love the person I work with because I get to go home at the end of the day. I can be nice to them, but i got to live with the person at home, with the children at home. And that's where you really learn how to love. That's where you really learn how to desire the good for another person over yourself. That's love. It's where you really learn to put others' needs ahead of yours and stop being selfish and self-centered. Marriage gives you the opportunity. It's where you learn to compromise. Family is where we learn to mature in love. So God takes dissimilar people, he puts them together, and he says, be united, be one. Leave your father, leave your mother, be united. This is now the most important relationship, and now you're going to multiply to have your own kids and learn how to create love in that environment. Why? Because it's tough. It's not easy. You disagree. You don't get along. You have different ideas. And maturing says, but we want to learn to love, and we want to learn to compromise, and we want to learn to how, to, how, to, how to really, truly learn to love one another. Marriage and family is an everyday opportunity for growth and maturity. Fathers, you know what requires growth? To not strangle your children when they tick you off for the 4,000th time. Now, mine have never done that. But Scripture speaks to it. It says to fathers, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Why do they exasperate them? Because they're so ticked off at them, they just want to pummel them. Why? That's part of life. Where do you learn how to love? You have somebody who drives you crazy at times, a husband, a wife, a child, and you have to learn how to love them because they're the most important person in the world to you. It's immature just to ignore it and go, I'm going to go to my room and do it my own way or I'm going to leave. That's immature. It's childish to be that way. Now, we don't like to hear that, especially us guys. But it's childish to be that way. Friends, nothing will give you greater opportunities for growth than learning to love the members of your family. Family offers that. It's a great gift. Because God wants you to mature in love for your benefit. It's a great gift to learn to mature in love. So that's another benefit or a result of the family. Now there's one more thing about family that I want to point out here from Genesis. And it's the thing that will help us transition into how family plays a part in missions in reaching the world with the love of Jesus. 
and it's this about family. God gave the family, it says in Genesis, um, rulership or dominion over his creation. Genesis 1, chapter 28, we read it. It says this, God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God gave the first family rulership over all of his creation. They were to subdue it and to rule over it. Now notice it says, God said to them, look at God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it and rule over it. God said to them, the rulership over creation was to be by them, by man and woman, by family. Not by him alone or by her alone. Together they were to rule over God's creation on his behalf, establishing his order and perpetuating his ways. Now we know from reading the next couple chapters in Genesis that they didn't do so well with that, did they? He said, rule over, have dominion. And what did they do? In fact, they didn't do good. In fact, they rejected God's rule. They followed Satan's rule. And they ushered in the results of sin upon the world. Because of the rejection of God's way, they ushered in death and destruction and decay. That's what they did because they rejected it. But regardless of that, regardless of what Adam and Eve did, God's design still stands. That family is to be the foundational building block of human society, and family has been given the responsibility to rule over God's creation under his lordship and for his glory, establishing his order and perpetuating his ways. That's what God has designed for family, right? Now, here's the application. One of the chief responsibilities of the family in ruling on God's behalf, having dominion, is transferring their faith beyond themselves to the rest of God's creation. One of the responsibilities is having rulership. God spoke to Adam and Eve and says, this is what you have a relationship with me. This is how to live. Don't eat that tree. Do that. They had a relationship. One of the responsibilities of their, of their um, dominion or rulership was transferring that relationship, that faith in God, beyond themselves to the rest of God's creation. You see, family is essential for reaching the world with the love message of Jesus. And there's two ways I want you to apply this today. Two ways you need to think about it. And they're both equally important. The first one is this. Family is God's avenue for transferring faith to the next generation. It's family. Family is not church, not Christian school, not VBS, not youth group. Family is God's avenue for transferring faith to the next generation. The primary way faith in Jesus is spread is from parent to child. And let me tell you this, the most effective way faith is transferred to the next generation is from parent to child. Family is God's vehicle for the transmission of faith. God's plan is for fathers and mothers to pass down their faith to their children. That's God's 
plan. Friends, open your eyes and see something. That is why there is such a visible, demonically inspired attack against the traditional family in the Western world. Destroy the family and you destroy the primary means of transmitting faith to the next generation. The devil doesn't have to destroy our faith. He has to destroy our families. If you destroy the family, there's no vehicle for transmitting the faith to the next generation. And so what rises up in our culture? So the world promotes same-sex marriage. No need for marriage. No need for traditional family. Just live together. They say it's an attack on the family or extreme feminism, which is man-haters. Just watch any sitcom and extreme feminism, man-hatingness is usually the theme of it, you know. Everybody loves Raymond because his wife is mean and rotten and Raymond's just a doofus. That's what they, that, and all shows very similar to that. Why? It's an attempt to destroy the family. Um, this easy divorce in our culture today. Why? An attempt to destroy the family. Why? Because if you destroy the family, it's not about destroying families. It's about destroying the transmission vehicle that God designed to transmit the faith to the next generation. So if you destroy the family, you hinder the ability for the faith to be passed on. You eliminate the most effective means at transferring faith to the next generation. Is God's plan for family. Mom, dad, together forever, having kids, passing on the faith to their children. So that's why the world around us attacks the traditional family. All these attacks against the family are because the family is God's primary avenue for passing on faith to the next generation. That's why family is so important. Destroy the family, destroy the faith. It only takes one generation. One generation, destroy the family, and faith is not transmitted any longer to the next generation. That is why from the very beginning of Scripture, God instructs families to pass their faith to their children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says this, Teach them, you shall teach them God's commands diligently to your sons and shall Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall write them on your doorposts of your home and on your gates. Church, you can't outsource the passing of your faith to your children or your grandchildren. And Americans or Western world is great at outsourcing. We outsource our education. We outsource our lawn care. We outsource whatever we want. We're good at outsourcing. You cannot outsource the passing on of your faith to your children and your grandchildren. It is not the church's job. It is not the school's job. It is not the pastor's job to pass the faith to your children. It is your job. When you chose to have children, you chose to take the responsibility to transmit your faith to them. It's yours We as the church world serve to assist you in it, and we do our best to help you with that because because God loves loves you and wants to help you, but it's the parents that are the greatest influence on children. Now, I want to encourage someone here today. I was developing this and writing it, and I just couldn't go further because here's what I know is going on in this very room by multiple people. You're sitting around and you're saying, well, then, and I'll, I'll say it, I think I'd have sanitized it that a lady said it to me one time in a Bible study. Well, then I'm messed up. No hope for my kids because it was a single mom who was divorced. I want you to hear something today. You can still pass on your faith to your children 
even if your family situation isn't traditional or perfect. First of all, there are no perfect relationships. You know what we find over the years is funny? Because Suzanne and I, we have a great marriage. We talk about it openly. We try to use it as a model. So I walk up on a platform and I kiss her and I'm always talking about how great she is and I'm talking about our problems, trying to model family. But people, generally women, will come to Suzanne and say, oh, if I just had you know, a rare marriage like you did, and, and, I had, and she'll be like, you think we never fight? <laughs> you don't know Mark very well, do you? <laughs> you know, and, uh, or her very well, you know. And so there is no perfect family. But some of you are sitting here and saying, but my family's less perfect than yours. Maybe you're a single mom or maybe you're a divorced dad. I want you to listen to me. God loves your kids more than you do, and he will help you to transfer your faith to the next generation. He will help you to disciple your children. But there's a caveat, and I mean this, what I'm going to say next. Especially if your family is not the traditional God, Genesis 1 picture of family. Transferring your faith to the next generation must be the highest priority in your life. If it's going to work, transferring your faith to the next generation, to your kids or your grandkids, must be the highest priority in your life, especially if you have a family that's fractured. I'll prove it, that it's possible. Do you remember a young man in the Scriptures named Timothy? the New Testament. He was one of the Apostle Paul's uh, protégés, one of the Apostle Paul's men that he raised up as a leader in the church. Paul wrote two books to him, First and Second Timothy. Do you remember Paul talked about it in First Timothy? He talked, or Second Timothy, he, told, he said to him where his faith came from, whom it came through. Paul didn't say, oh, by the way, I came to the crusade and I led you to faith. He never said that. Do you remember whom he said his faith came through? His mother, and his grandmother. He said, that's who faith came through. Your mother and your grandmother. And matter of fact, church history says, and we can read a little bit in the New Testament, it says that Timothy's mother, maybe because of death, we're not sure, um, ended up being a single mom, and she had been married to, to Timothy's dad, who it tells who he was in the Scriptures, that he was a non-believing Greek. So here's the mom who didn't marry a believer, She's raising a boy, her and grandma are, in, are doing it together, raising those kids, because maybe dad is dead, but dad was never really a believer. He was not even a Jew. He was a non-believing Greek. And God used her and God used her grandma, her mom, to raise Timothy. And Timothy becomes one of the premier leaders in the New Testament church. So friends, God loves your kids more than you do. I'm just saying again, let's not let mistakes of the past set the precedent for what's acceptable in the present. God has grace for those things when we make mistakes. He'll help you. He'll help you raise your kids. But as a church, let's stand, let's raise our kids saying, this is God's plan. This is right, the right way. Because it's not only the best for you, but it's the best for perpetuating the gospel, the faith to the next generation. So, this is the first and most important part of missions. Transferring a true faith to our kids and our grandkids. If we simply did this, we would grow. Because of biology, we would grow as as the kingdom of God. The most important part of missions is transferring faith from believing parents 
to children so they pass it on to their children in the next generation. That's the most important part of mission, of expanding the kingdom of God. So the first mission field that each of us is responsible for is our family. So that's the first application of where fam- family tied to mission. There's another one. I want to mention it quickly. And it's this, the second application of this, how family and missions tied together. And I'd say this is also just as vital to every family. You can say, oh, I'm really concerned about passing on to my kids, but this next section is where we fall down very often. It's this. Family is God's plan for transferring faith to a lost world. We said, first of all, family is God's plan for transferring faith to the next generation, your kids. Now I'm saying family is God's plan for transferring faith to a lost world. A love-filled, Christ-centered family is a continual advertisement for your faith. People are watching. People without Christ will notice the difference between your family and other families. When my kids go places, they say, how come your kids are so respectful? How come your kids work so hard? Pastor Paul came in, and I'm just, I'm just I'll brag on my kids for a minute. But Pastor Paul, I'll just plug your ears. He interviewed churches before, before he took a position here. He could have went anywhere. And he interviewed my children. He didn't tell me at the time. And he said, I want to come here because your kids, you've got a great family. I want my kids to be like that. Now, that's not to do this. I'm saying, here's the deal. People are watching your family. And if he's watching, what do you think the unsaved world is doing? They're watching your family. So people will watch. and It will make a difference in their life. But there's a point to mission here that you need to understand. And this is where the evangelical world has messed up for probably 25 years. And it's this, maybe more. Something implied in my statement. Your family, to be missional then, needs to intersect with the world. To be missional, we're going to be missional in reaching our kids. But for our family unit to be missional, there's something implied. That means our family unit needs to intersect with the world. One of the most underused mission tools is Christ-centered families because they rarely intersect with lost people. That's numbers just prove it. Statistics prove it. We spend most of our time in church and in Christian organizations and with other believers, and we rarely, as a family unit, Spend time with those who don't know Jesus. I'm not talking about, oh, I go with lost people at work or they go with lost people at school. I'm talking about the benefit of this wonderful advertisement tool called the godly family. That they see how a mom and a child interact, how a husband and a wife interact, how children interact with each other, and they go, what is it? I remember going to a parent one time where I spent a week with him and his family. My kids were little, and I was so impressed with their children. I said, how have you raised kids like that? And he said, well, this is what we've done, this, this, and this. And at first he said, buy this certain book. And I bought the book, you know. And uh, I said, man, I, I want to raise my family because I saw it. One of the most underutilized missions tools is a Christ-centered family that interacts with lost people as a unit. And I would challenge you this way. Open up your world. Open up your family to someone who does not know Jesus. Let them spend time with your family and experience how great a Christian family can be. It will change them. It will also birth in your children a heart for reaching people who don't know Jesus yet. So we need our family is his great gift 
that God wants to use a tool to help other people see that this is what it ought to be like. Now, there's another application here, and this is one you're not going to like at all. Okay? You love me even before I say it? Okay. Some of you will, but some of you are going to say, ah, no, 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 no. It's this. In order for our families to be missional, for our families to be used to accomplish the mission of God of seeking and saving lost people, parents, we need to release our children into God's plan for their lives and not create the plan that we think they ought to have. That's easier said than done. Especially in a culture that's telling you success is measured by the degrees they earn, the money they the money that they earn, you know, and all the trappings associated with things that are dying and, and falling away. They're not, they're not bad things, they're just they're temporal. But I'm telling you, in order for us to be missional, families play a big part. Because parents, we need to release our children into God's plan for their lives. See, this is what I believe. God is raising up some of our kids in great families so that we can send them off with strong faith into parts of the world that is desperate and without Jesus. He's raising those kids up in strong families with strong faiths so they are able to endure what they're going to endure in hard places that don't know Jesus yet. And for that to happen as parents... When they're very small, we need to release our kids into God's plan for their lives. I've noticed something strange over the years as a pastor. In the church world, we celebrate our young people doing a bunch of things, but one of the things we celebrate our young people doing is going into military service to serve our country. Matter of fact, we call them heroes when they do it. They're heroes. And oftentimes they're going into dangerous places. I'm all for it. We do a whole service every year to honor veterans. And, and one of the big deals we usually do is our young people who are in the military. And we applaud and say, isn't that great? But we know they're often going into dangerous places. But here's the strange thing. I've seen it over and over again over the years. Parents discouraging their children from going into ministry and especially going into missions because of fear. Fear number one, this is really the real fear, they won't make enough money. Fear number two, it's dangerous. Church, we need to embrace God's heart for lost people and encourage our kids to be open to God's call on their lives to be missional. Whatever that, it might be a, a missional doctor serving here, but then God may call them to go over to some AIDS-ridden African country and serve there. And you go, but what a waste. They did all that education. I'm saying it's never a waste when it's the plan of God. God may be calling your kid not to go into business, but rather to go into missions and serve as a missionary in some, in some Arab world somewhere. We need to release our kids into God's plan. I'm not saying we force them into something. I'm saying release them into God's plan and educate your kids to listen for the voice of God as the number one thing they, listen, they, they use to determine what God wants to do with their life. Church, we need to embrace God's heart for lost people. We need to encourage kids to be open to the call of, God's, call of God into ministry and missions in their life. Because this is the reality. Your child's greatest joy and fulfillment will come from doing God's will for their lives, not living for the world. So church, wrap up.
family is God's idea. There is such blessing that flows from a Christ-centered family. And it's the key. Family is the key to transferring faith to our kids. And it's the key to transferring faith to those who don't know Jesus yet. It's God's plan, family. And this Mother's Day, thank God for your family. Dedicate your family to the Lord's service, no matter what that looks like. And you will have the greatest experience you could ever have, the God kind of experience as a family. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd encourage you, if you're here with, a family, with your family today, before you leave today, when I'm done just closing in prayer, I encourage you to just take a few moments, gather together, sit in a circle, pray for one another, and dedicate your family to Jesus. As a, as a family, say, Lord Jesus, we are dedicated to walking with you. We're dedicated to serving you. We're dedicated to loving you. Do that before you go today. What a great, what a great gift on Mother's Day. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us so much that you didn't create us to just be born and live on our own, but you created us to live in family. And I pray for every one of the families represented in this place. Some are are here with the whole family. Some are are here and and this is their family. This Portview is their church family. And it really is closer than any family. Thank you for that. That that's what you make, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. God, I would pray that our families would fulfill some of the things we've seen today. That we would be places of transmission of faith to the next generation and places of using, you would use us to to be missional and reach lost people because of our family. So bless every one of these families, I pray. Give them a heart for you like they've never had before for your glory. Bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name.